Francis. Today I'm going to say a bit about the article called Reciting, Chanting, and Singing, the Codification of Music in Buddhist Canon Law, written by Tsuelan Lyo and published in 2017 in the Journal of Indian Philosophy. Our music today was recorded by a musician and Buddhist studies scholar named Trent Walker. And you can find it on his website of Cambodian Buddhist Music, which is uh, stirringandstilling.org. Trent spent many years working with Cambodian Buddhist songs, and the one we're listening today is called Homage in Eight Verses. This homage was composed in the 19th century by a Thai king when he was a monk before becoming a king, and still recited melodically by Cambodian monks in the language called Pali. The song pays homage to what are called the Three Jewels, the Buddha, his teaching, and his community. You can read the verses of the song, translated into English, on the Stirring and Stilling website. This song is sung by Prum Ut, a renowned Cambodian singer who was a rice farmer for most of his life. In this article, Suelan Liu talks about how music is understood in what are sometimes called legal texts of Buddhism, that is, the rule books for Buddhist monks and nuns, which is called the Vinaya. There aren't really any texts in early Indian Buddhism that specifically talk about music. So in trying to learn about what people thought about music then, we have to look at a variety of different sources and figure it out. In this article, the author wants to try to sort through these sources to see what's said about music and the performing arts in early Buddhist monastic and non-monastic communities. She looks at how vocal music is classified in Buddhist canon law in particular. Canon law is how she describes these monastic rule books or legal texts, the Vinaya. In general, Buddhist canon law prohibits song, dance, and instrumental music for monks and nuns. In the category of vocal music, there's song or singing, and there's also recitation and chanting. So first of all, Tsuelan Liu, the author of this article, looks at Buddhist legal texts to see how they define reciting, chanting, and singing. How these legal texts, the Vinaya, explain laws is through telling stories about times in the Buddha's life or the life of other important figures that demonstrate why the law or rule had to be made in the first place. You'll see in this article that she talks about different versions of these stories. This is because as Buddhism traveled from India to Tibet to China, important Buddhist texts were translated into these other languages for Buddhist communities to use. Now, a couple thousand years later, we only have some of these texts remaining. And so the one thing that scholars of Buddhist studies do is sort through all these different texts and try to make sense of them. Let's listen to one of the versions of the story told in this article, which is one of the early examples of music or performance even being mentioned at all. 
and a law being made by the Buddha as a result of what happened in the story. The incident began with a conflict between some performers from the south and monks in the band of six. One year, some performers came to the city of Rajgir from the south. They wanted to make money performing dramas that would attract an audience. One of them proposed incorporating the marvelous stories of the Buddha, which she believed would be a great attraction to all. These performers first approached the monk in the band of six and asked them to tell the stories of the Buddha. What are you going to do with these stories of the Buddha? The monks in the band of six asked the performers. We want to use them as lyrics in song that we will perform with instrumental music, the performers replied. In reply, the monk said, If you want to hear the stories about the noble deeds of the Buddha to compose songs, you can leave now. I will not tell them to you. The performers then left silently. Next, they went to the nunnery, met nun Stulananda, and made the same request. If you offer me some gifts for bread and fruit, I can tell you the stories. The deal was done. The performers heard the details of the story of the Buddha from nun Stulananda, and composed them as songs to be performed with instrumental music. At that time, all of the performers believed that these songs about the deeds of the Buddha would impress an audience and make them faithful. Yet they also wanted to perform something funny to entertain the audience. They went back to the monastery where the monks in the band of six were staying. At that time, monk Shanda had finished his meal and was resting. A lay donor came to see Shanda and offered him some delicious food. Although Shanda had already eaten, he wanted to enjoy the delicious food without breaking the disciplinary rule prohibiting monks from eating, having already consumed a meal. So Shanda took the food and went to see Udai, another monk in the band of six. Shanda asked Udai directly to eat some of the food first so that he could eat the rest. Udai did so and gave the remainder to Shanda, who finished it. The performer saw the entire scene. On the day of the performance, the performers first sang songs of the Buddha, and then performed a show in which they had mimicked Shanda's tricks to eat the extra food. Insulted by what the performers had done, the monks and the band of six committed to take revenge. They did this by setting up an elaborate stage before the temples of the two serpent kings. Udai put on a lavish lay costumes, and the rest of the monks in the band of six played dancing music on various instruments. Their performance attracted all of the people at the festival. At the end of the performance, the audience generously tipped the monks. The performance from the south were apparently abandoned by the audience and had no income that day. They followed their competitors to discover that they were the monks from the band of six. As the performers stood watching by the door to the monastery, Udai appeared with yellow makeup residue still on his ear. The performers asked, Venerable, was it you who performed musical entertainment? Udai replied, Yes, it was I. I did it deliberately to insult you fools. How can I allow you to make a living by relying on my grace while making fun of me and impersonating me in front of the public to make them laugh? I will follow you wherever you go. I will make you unable to earn anything in a long time. Upon hearing this, the performers begged Udai to forgive them. Udai told the performers that he would only forgive them if they surrendered all of their income to him. The performers had no other option but to comply with Udai's demand. They returned looking depressed. When others learned what they had experienced, they criticized these monks for dressing in lay costumes to show off their musical skills and for causing the financial loss of the performers. 
When this was reported to the Buddha, the Buddha laid down the rule prohibiting monks from wearing undyed white robes, the usual attire of the laity in ancient India. As you study this article, you'll be able to see a number of different versions of this story and related stories that talk about why the Buddha was said to have prohibited singing or participating in musical performances for monks and nuns. In some of those cases, the scenario is that monks and nuns are found attending musical performances and having fun, which is deemed inappropriately not serious enough by lay people who catch them doing this. In the next section of the article, Tsuilan Liu examines legal texts in Sanskrit, Pali, Tibetan, and Chinese to try to figure out what's meant by recitation. And according to her study, it seems like it's not totally clear what the differences in these earliest texts between reciting and chanting are. It seems like, in general, chanting involves the use of prolonged intonation. According to one Chinese source, she says, for example, the primary function of chanting is to stop or halt all activities in preparation for a quiet ritual environment. As you read through this article, one of the things you'll notice is how complicated it is to compare these practices across languages and cultures. And of course, as Buddhist practices moved across Asia and as time passed, the meaning of words and the practices they refer to would naturally have changed quite a bit. But one point Suilan Liu comes to make is that even for early Buddhists, it wasn't so easy to define the differences between reciting, chanting, and singing. But there's one story about a nun named Shukla that suggests that maybe one key difference is the content of the text being uttered. Here's a story from the Vinaya, as told in this article about that nun, Shukla. Shukla is married to a man by the name of Kamaraputra in the city of Rajgir. In her previous life, she was the daughter of a king named Kamaraputra. While staying in her monastic community as a nun, Shukla gains renown for her pleasant voice. She receives invitations from some Buddhist householders to chant Buddhist scriptures. Nun Shukla received generous gifts of fabric from her lay patrons for providing this service. Other nuns soon became jealous of her and accused her of enchanting the lay people with songs of charm. When these criticisms were reported to the Buddha, the Buddha interrogated Nun Shukla and asked her, Have you sung words expressing secular affairs? When Shukla denied it, the Buddha declared Shukla innocent. Suilan Liu concludes that this story reveals that in the Buddhist context, the nature of a vocal activity is determined by the nature of the texts. If it's about secular affairs, it is singing. And if it's about religious affairs, it is chanting. Another difference is the melody. Any tune can be used in singing, but recitation and chanting are carefully regulated. And there are a number of stories in this article that illuminate this, too. In the next section of this article, Tsuilan Liu talks about how some of the different ways that using one's voice is essential in monastic life. One important ritual for monks and nuns, for example, is recitation of the Pratimoksha Sutra, which is a text that contains the monastic rules. Other non-legal Buddhist texts are sometimes also recited, and finally, of course, monks and nuns have to preach the Dharma. 
Each of these kinds of recitation occur regularly in the life of a monk or a nun at ceremonies or ritual events. This article gives you a number of examples of the kinds of texts that have to be recited regularly in different kinds of ceremonies, including, for example, at Buddhist funerals, or maybe when a tree has to be cut, as another example. If you've spent time around Buddhist monastic communities, you'll certainly have heard them recite texts as part of a ceremony. In the final sections of the article, we can read a summary of these ideas. First of all, for the most part in Buddhist canon law, vocal music for entertaining should be prohibited, but its use can be negotiated for enhancing religious practices. Singing in general is more heavily regulated, whereas recitation and chanting are actually basic regular activities for monks and nuns. But there are lots of rules about how to do this and when to do this, and recitation of texts is supposed to not be musical in any way. But there are some exceptions. For example, according to some texts, when chanting a praise to the Buddha's virtues, they're supposed to do this with a musical voice. So in conclusion, Tsuilan Liu revisits some of the reasons why the issue of music for monks and nuns was so important and controversial, and how much of this has to do with ensuring that monks and nuns are expected to behave differently than ordinary laypeople. She suggests that this issue tells us something about how Buddhist laws were developed in reaction to lay criticism. And this is important because the monastic community was supported by the lay communities. The lay communities provided food, clothes, housing, medicine, utensils, and everything else for the ordained Buddhist monks and nuns to live without working. So you can imagine how important it was for them to be perceived well by the lay community. As you study this article, here are a few questions to think about. If you've spent any time around Buddhist communities, what have you noticed about the role of singing, chanting, recitation, or music in general? This article shows us how monastic laws were created in reaction to events that occurred in the early Buddhist community. Does this seem to you to be a reasonable way to create a legal system? This episode of Footnotes was produced by Francis Garrett with sound editing by Jesse Witte. The show's music was Eight Verses by Trent Walker and Bells at Work by Daniel Birch. 
The Footnote series was created at the University of Toronto in Canada with support from eCampus Ontario.